welcome to another episode of I Am The Night, the weekly show where Adam, hello, and I look back at every single episode of Batman the Animated Series, and this is our 61st episode. We're looking at season two, episode two, A Bullet for Bullock, written by Michael Reeves, directed by Frank Power, and... I liked it. What about you, sir? I liked it too. I liked it. I thought it was very charming, very out there. And I'm trying to remember if we've had a very Bullock central sort of episode. I know we featured heavily in Rene Montoya's first big episode, where yeah. it was the cross-examination of those other detectives. But I don't think we've had a proper Bullocky Bullock episode. And it was nice to give the character his spotlight. Absolutely. And you're right. This is the first Bullocky Bullock one. And it's just great that they can get these comic book characters and add another dimension to them in a completely separate media. They've really given him a lot of justice. They've been able to show the character from all sides. He takes up the focus and the screen time of the episode, obviously. And it's great to see that uh, we get that sort of level of care and respect and we learn a lot about him. Some of the things that we sort of suspected that he's maybe a little bit of a slob and a little bit brash and rude is sort of confirmed here. And we also get to learn that... uh, Things are always as they seem, and it's a really nice and rewarding thing to see. Yeah, because in the comics, he was always a lot more sympathetic. There's several comics issues where he did have the spotlight on his own thing, a few issues of Detective Comics where you looked into his life, you saw him possibly have a romance with a, a bar worker and his massive jazz collection. <laughs> and that really makes me happy because of Shirley Walker's music for this episode being so incredibly. High jazz, yeah. Oh man, that music this week. The music was so high jazz and I'm really like as soon as you mentioned that it was that he is a big jazz fan, I felt like that made so much yeah. sense to just respect the character. And yeah, we really got that in spades in this episode. We got just like those huge lilting bars and just like the high horns and brasses when things were tense and action y. We got like the low sort of like high hats and just to build up tension and yeah. just to, when we were seeing him in his downtime. It was just a wonderful soundscape that just made it feel very retro, very vintage but also still somehow true to the character. I love it when they do stuff like that. Yeah, because obviously knowing that the character's a massive jazz fan, that really, really hit home for me this week. And the music in this show, we've said it, and I didn't know if they'd continue that with season two, but they have. The way that this film's got, this film, if that's what I'm talking about right there, this film, this 20-minute animated show has got a soundtrack that is as worthy of standing up next to any cinematic release is just mind-blowing to me. And the fact that they made this a jazz score possibly is a tip to the hat to the comic version of the character, I don't know, but it just fit. Particularly when you've got a villain called Vinny the Shark. Yeah, Vinny Shark is a very classic uh, gangster type that fits this soundscape very well. And the combination of that, plus the character's love for it, plus the simple sort of cops and robbers theme of the episode, we really get the feeling that, yeah, this is really justified and really well done we got it done so well here that's that's why it's just masterful storytelling in sound really really good i mean we have to talk about the actual plot of course and obviously vinnie the shark's a big part of it we see bullock doing probably the thing that's hurt him the most in his career in asking batman for help after he receives a ton of threatening letters and what seems like some attempts on his life, hence the title, Bullet for Bullock. What did you make of that whole thing? I mean, do you see that a cop like Bullock's going to have a target on his back regardless? Well, uh, someone with that kind of reputation and that kind of, like, no-nonsense, take down the criminal, whatever it takes method will definitely get him a lot of enemies. And that way, that's why it could be literally anyone. As obviously, it's assumed that it's 
um, someone that he's banged up and convicted from his past, which makes a lot of sense. But even someone who's like playing by his own rules like that, it could very easily be someone else in the department who doesn't like his style and thinks he needs to be taken out for the greater good. But it's very, it was very hard because right at the beginning, I had a little bit of fun laughing quietly to myself because the opening shot is Bullock walking home with groceries mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then jumping to safety after the screeching car just drives past and tries to off him. So it was quite literally, to quote Mrs. Doubtfire, a drive-by fruiting. <laughs> oh, very good. Tr- I like your style. But it was, in fact, a drive-by fruiting, but that's still a very scary happenstance. Yeah, and we see absolutely. multiple uh, hits and attempts on his life throughout the episode, which leaves him going from like justifiably angry at the uh, beginning to him like shaking trying to pour his coffee at the end. So yeah. we see him go through all the realistic spectrum of feelings and we feel for the guy. So him calling Batman may hurt his pride, but it's a necessary out. Yeah, absolutely. And some great acting by these two-dimensional characters in this episode and some amazing top draw voice acting from Robert Costanza, who plays Bullock, from Kevin Conroy's Batman. The typical... Oh, how much do you love Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred? Um, Detective Bullock, isn't that the chap who looks like, like an unmade bed? bed? I wrote down in my own notes, that <laughs> may possibly be Alfred's most scathing and oh, harsh burn. It. Personally, oh, I, I feel it. that, and but it's true to an extent. So, yeah, we get wonderful, true-to-form character performances from everybody in this episode, which oh, is just so nice everybody. to see. Absolutely everybody, and... This show isn't just great at delivering scripts that just fit the 20 minutes better than anything I've ever witnessed. Um, Great one-liners, fantastic music. Again, this show has hit a peak where it knows exactly what it is. The direction of this episode, from the very beginning, with the moon in the sky fading into the bat signal, the multiple vanishing acts annoying Bullock as much as they do Gordon, but the fact that Batman doesn't even try with the vanishing hats, over the course of the episode, Bullock actually sees a bit of a cape fly mm. out of the window, calls Batman back, where Batman says, I can't even bother to do the vanishing act on this guy. He's come for my help and he's still giving me stress. But again, though, do you sense, like we did with the um, Internal Affairs episode, that this has brought them a bit closer again, these two characters? I feel like that would sort of happen regardless of them interacting. Because we see no Jim Gordon in this episode. No, none, and that's a surprise. That is quite a surprise because it's it's also quite telling that he would rather go to Batman for this than to Jim Gordon because Jim Gordon would be like put him in protective custody, wait till he dies exactly. down, exactly, well not said. get down to the to the uh, crux of the matter. Batman would get the results, and I think that's something that Bullock still knows. And the fact that he's been able to deliver and has saved Bullock's neck multiple times throughout the episode that, yeah, that would naturally bring them closer together. And it's a nice thing to see because the whole development of Bullock's character is him going from I don't trust Batman any which way whatsoever into, okay, you're weird, I don't trust you, but you help me out so you're all right, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. And we get the characters and this show is, we forget that everybody talks about your Harley Quinns, but this is the show that gave us characters like Summer Gleason. This is the show that gave, gave us characters like Veronica Vreeland, like Renee Montoya. And I was very surprised, and I didn't even realise that until this episode, because I've done a bit of research, as I do, as being do. my middle name, into this. And we have a brand new Montoya for this season 
onwards. Oh. For the rest of the show, it is a new actress, Leanne Shermer, who has got a much more... I don't know what to call it, classic movie star voice, I guess, but still fitting with the Latina character. It's very unusual. It wasn't very little similarity to the original voice, I found. I feel like there's a somewhat of a deeper register. Yeah. I feel like there's a somewhat of a sternness, but not a coldness, which is, I think, quite important for the character. Yeah. Um, personally, I felt like it was a good fit, so much so that I didn't really mind or notice the difference. Mm-hmm. But then again, I don't know if the shot quite as well as you do. I didn't mind the difference, but I definitely noticed it. But her intonation and her delivery of the lines, I think you can tell that this is a much more seasoned voice actress because the delivery of the lines like, you don't look so good. I mean, you never look good, but I mean, just yeah, the delivery of the lines real. felt a lot yeah. more real, didn't it? Which is, I think, something that you definitely want to get across because you want to get like the feeling of a lot of time spent together, a lot of familiarity between the two characters yeah. where you can say that with a little confidence and a little offhandedness, but make it still sound natural. Where applying a lot of effort can make that sound a little bit not to discredit previous voices. I know she was part, great, absolutely. But having the experience behind it is definitely helpful here. So yeah, I think it worked out in good stead. Yeah, I think I need to a bit more research to find out why there was a change, if there was a change. But I get the feeling it's because they're going to grow the character more because she only appeared three or four times in season one. But looking at Leanne Sherman's credits, she does appear throughout the rest of this season and make guest appearances elsewhere. So maybe there's going to be a couple of Montoya-centric episodes, which really makes me happy. That would be that's the case. That would be quite nice. And I think that would be expected because uh, mm. such a key character that they've created and developed they may want to try and develop her further here and this would be the natural obvious place to do it before she migrated naturally into the comics absolutely absolutely now we frequently talk about things like music and voice acting understandably for an animated show but i don't think we've really mentioned the sound design for this show and it really stood out to me this week more than a lot because we finally hear the Batmobile standing idle when it screeches up to pick up Bullock. And that engine sound was one of the most beautiful things I've heard. That sounded like the best souped up monster car that's been hyped up beyond street legal I've ever heard on an animated series. That was gorgeous. For the time, yes, I'd say that that's definitely the sort of specs, the time, they, were, yeah. the sort of specs they were going for. And obviously... Of the time, again, I feel like that would be exactly what Batman would use because that would be the thing that would guarantee good speed, Mm. good mileage, and working on the best and most efficient parts possible. It's interesting to see, like, the... Like, in my head, you've got to compare things then and now. You always have to watch and take in all media through the lens it was made, but also with today's opinions. This Just hearing those no- that, that engine noise made me really think, okay, so that's how Batman rolls, but how would Batman roll now? Because I think Batman would be on a hybrid because the electric motors he are is silent, factual. which would be great for stealth. Absolutely. You called it in recent comics, in recent years. Yes, he runs a hybrid, and it has to be a hybrid rather than fully electrical because you still need, at this point in time, um, a combustion engine for performance, for speed, and that's outdoors. But for stealth, you're absolutely correct. He does run a, an electric engine too. Because as satisfying as it is to hear like that yeah. gas guzzling roar, it's like to feel some like the 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 pavement vibrate mm. when the car pulls past. There's also something very ominous and satisfying about the low sort of hum of a car just gliding. Yeah. That's what that's something that I think is always quite big in sci-fi movies. Yes. And I think that that's definitely what Batman of the Now is there. But there's still something very satisfying looking to the past to see Batman just like roaring along as just this figure of terror. Uh, and it um, clearly impressed Bullock when he 
was <laughs> pulled into the car rather than asked to step in. And he says, oh, nice starship you've got here. Well, I mean, like, getting into a big thing like that with those kind of, like, long seats and all of those buttons, it would feel like a, like a spaceship. But then again, don't press any buttons that you don't want to press. Oh, no, don't do that. See, see, now that's the question. Was it actually the passenger eject seat or was that just Batman's quick way to just get an excuse so the book doesn't touch anything? I think it was Batman's quick excuse because the fact that it was a red button leads me to believe it's a rocket launcher or something far more dangerous in a populated area yeah okay well either way it was it did its job because even yeah because it would be like oh no i don't want to eject myself or oh about not eject myself even though it's not actually an eject but still it did its job and that's just the quick thinking of batman striking again absolutely now do you believe because we've said that this may have brought them closer that harvey will ever see batman as anything more or anything less than a freak and a menace, and those are his good points. I would hope that there'd be some growth and some camaraderie and respect there. I think it's a possibility. I sincerely hope so, but um, I think as long as the fr- the freak and a menace that means well yeah. and is on the same side, I think that's what we'll sort of bond them together. Because remember, Batman doesn't particularly like Bullock either. He says right. that we're on the same side, but we're not the same because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the bending of the rules Very and the, well said. the sort of misgivings and frankly brash and unhelpful attitude of Bullock wouldn't necessarily help because we see, we've seen multiple scenes now from across the series where Batman's sneaking around someone's office, rooting through filing exactly. cabinets and stuff. And we see Batman there with his like night vision on or a torch in his mouth mm-hmm. or a torch on his side, just like going through files quietly and taking out exactly what he needs, looking at it, taking pictures, putting it back. Bullock does none of that. Nope. Bullock just like flings yep. papers everywhere and just looks through and eventually finds nothing. I mean, they have got a lot of similarities, but like you said, Batman is all stealth and you never knew he was there. Bullock is a line of views, which people have now repeated back to me and thanked me for. Bullock in a china shop. Yeah. And that's literally him all over. Making a lot of noise, having a smashing time. Yes, indeed. But let's talk about these supporting characters. A, Vinny the Shark, the villain, who gave me a bit of work this week because the actor wasn't credited. So I had to do some searching huh? to find out who it was and why. But obviously, sometimes actors give their time just because they want to be in a show, but they don't want to get paid or recognition for it. That is a thing that happens with some actors who aren't bigots. And that was just a wonderful thing for him to do. But also because of the obviously the new Montoya and, of course, Bullock's landlord, <laughs> Mr. Nevins. And this one's going to make you smile when I tell you who that is. But let's talk about these supporting characters and... They were important to the plot. They were important to the story. Yeah, they were. Um, I think we got a very archetypal, revenge-driven mafia mm-hmm. boss here in Vinny the Shark. Uh, just the name alone is great as it is. <laughs> it's vintage, isn't it? Vintage Vinny. I love it. But yeah, um, it's very interesting to hear that the actor wasn't mentioned in the credits. Mm-hmm. So who were they? Right. A, a Greg Berger. And again, mainly a voice actor. And but animated royalty from this is this is range here from villains like Vinny the shark in this episode craven and mysterio in the spider-man animated series oh wow nice and then he goes completely the opposite direction he played odie the dog in all the garfield animated series no way (laughs) yes but this is the one that's really gonna make you smile 
the classic, all-time great that is the Transformers animated series, this is the voice of Grimlock. Oh, what a hero. Absolutely. So it was well worth doing the research to find out who this guy is. Absolutely worth doing. Oh, yeah. The The smile on your face speaks volumes. Everyone's right answer to say that the best Autobot is Optimus Prime, but everyone's favourite, secret favourite is always Grimlock and the Dinobots, right? Yeah, and Soundwave. I've got a real soft spot for Soundwave. Of Autobots. Autobots, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Decepticons, yeah, for me it's Soundwave and Shockwave because they're both cold and calculating and care not. Oh, that was a pleasant surprise. Yes, indeed. And now let's talk about the others. Of course, we mentioned Leanne Shermer briefly, the new Montoya, but she seems to be an absolute veteran of video games. All the Ghost Recons, all the Saints Row, all the Call of Duties, she's in there. But then, of course, DC, she's Montoya from this moment forward and tons of guest appearances in Superman, Justice League, everything else. But in all the Lego DC games too. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. The, <laughs> honestly, the Lego games, I mean, they are made Wonderful. for tiny children because of the puzzles, but that's I'm a fun. tiny child. I love them. That, well, I mean, yes, you are. You are somewhat a tiny child, but there's just so They're just harmless fun. They're so satisfying in a world of like video gaming these days where everything is just like hyper competitive and like ultra triple A, triple A per, uh, companies making ultra 4k graphic monstrosities having something simple like a side scroller where people punch and like mm-hmm. bricks fall out it's just so satisfying and and oh, i don't remember the last time i picked up a lego title wow but still great yes. stuff so so much fun yep now let's talk about um the true villain because even though vinnie the shark did attempt to kill bullock at the end he wasn't the man behind all the attempts no it was Bullock's landlord who wanted to get him out of that rent-controlled apartment, because do it up off. and hire it for us. On that, that's little stories like that that bring it back to the real and show some completely different sides of comic book storytelling and animation storytelling, I guess. Yeah, because you would expect the grandiose villain to have nefarious plans to take out our heroes, but no, sometimes... Uh, the ones you least expect are the ones that are the most dangerous, or at least attempt to be, because mm-hmm. it was lots of like hit and run, cowardly sort of attempts yeah. until yeah. eventually he gets face down, and it's uh, a scary moment to be facing down a very large man and Batman. And it also makes complete sense because Batman said it from the beginning again, some great foreshadowing, really good storytelling in this episode, where any real serious assassin would have got to you in your apartment. But of course, he didn't want the apartment damaged further than it was. He wanted to... Yeah. And that's brilliant writing. Not even down to the damage. If people hear, oh, uh, the, what happened to the last the last person? Oh, yeah. they di- oh, they died right over there. Yeah, that, that brings down house yes. prices. That's, that's bad for business. Absolutely. So, yeah, he would naturally want to avoid something like that. And, yeah, he had several good attempts, but it didn't quite work out for the snivelly little landlord guy, did it? Absolutely. And of course, I've, I've blown your mind a couple of times with Greg Berger and with uh, Leanne Shermer, but I'm going to do it double now. Because we have to talk about, of course, Nivens, the landlord, and Harvey himself. Because obviously we mentioned him in passing when he was first when he first appeared on the show and ever since, but now we need to go into the voice actor. And I, I want to do the old mind-blowing things. So I really enjoy it. First of all, Jeffrey Jones, who plays Nivens. This man, Deadwood both the TV show and the movie. Eddie Barzoon in Devil's Advocate with... Um, oh, Keanu, Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. Yes, Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. Hunt for Red October, 
Beetlejuice, Amadeus, those are the credits. But you, sir, you, my dear friend, will know him f- first and foremost as Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. No. <laughs> <laughs> and now you heard it, now yeah. you've seen it, you can see why. Now I see it, yeah. yeah. There's something very satisfying of someone super snivelly just being just beaten around by young ladies and the neighbor's dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's multiple costing a great and seasoned actor to be able to do it. Yes, indeed. Great and seasoned. I'm glad you used those words because now of course we must talk about Robert Costanzo, Harvey Bullock himself from movies as diverse as Dog Day Afternoon, Saturday Night Fever, Total Recall, 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 the orig- Recall. The original of the, the cult, not the, the only, urban monstrosity. No, the only Total Recall. Um, <laughs> the, the other one doesn't exist in my vocabulary. He's also um, the cop who gives John McClane his parking ticket at the beginning of Die Hard 2 and who ends up being the brother of the main cop from Die Hard Which 2. Which also therefore means he's Joey's father in Friends. Exactly, and that was where I was going to end. Joey's, Joey's dad in Friends. <laughs> we only see him in that one episode. <laughs> but he rules. But he rules, and yeah. it makes total sense. And now that I think about it, looking at them side by side, it's perfect visual casting. Yes, indeed. And he's got, obviously, that cop experience of, like, oh, so what, Elvis? Well, looking at his IMDb and Wikipedia pages, he's played more cops or thugs with vintage Brooklyn, New York accents than virtually any other man in existence. And, of course, hello. Yeah, the the, the thuggiest (laughs) New York cop ever. Honestly, like, I know a few actors here and there, and they I've heard the exact opposite sides about the opinions of typecasting all over the shop. Some of them really hate it and want to explore their range. Some of it find it really comforting. And lean into it. And lean into it. So honestly, I I hope that as long as you're really good at Mm -hmm. the type you're cast for, Mm -hmm. then I think you can really just own it. Like I I will always trust Mark Strong to be a good villain. Oh, class act. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes typecasting is annoying, but it's not bad. But let's be honest here as well. Let's just talk about Robert Costanzo. Have you ever seen or heard him in anything where he wasn't amazing? Exactly. Exactly. You can count on the performance to be good. So it's a shame that I can't necessarily see him doing more stuff, but to see him doing what he does best at his best, you can't ask for Bill. Absolutely. And he'll have a job forever doing that. Is he still working? He's still working, still doing a great job. He's been working since the 1970s and he's still working. So, Mr. Costanzo, sir, we salute you. Well done. Great work. So, um, great story. Lots of fun. Great action. Amazing sound design. Brilliant music. Brilliant acting. Faultless apart from one thing. Yeah. But I'm going to come to that on my hot takes, unless it's the same as yours. What was your takeaway, good, bad or ugly, from A Bullet for Book? My biggest standout moment was something you mentioned very, very briefly, but I wanted to t- talk about this sort of part in great detail. Um, I really appreciate that a Saturday morning animation can give us a slice of actual great realism that I've not really seen in other Batman media. Ooh. You talked lightly about that fade-in from the moon into the yes. Bat-Signal. I particularly liked that it wasn't just a solid yellow yes. disc in the sky. There was Absolutely. a little bit of blur and some fade. Yeah. Sure, we get some of that mm. in like some of the live actions, but it's still a very obvious oh, yeah. symbol there. 
And sure enough, it's still the bright yellow that we'd come to expect, but it's not perfectly circular mm-hmm. and it's not perfectly like solid. There is some feathering and some like haze yep. to the outside of it. And that kind of level of realism just shows like care and attention oh, that they yes. didn't really need to put in, oh, but yes. a level of realism and care and attention that we still get. And I'm very happy to see. Even the moment, though I love it, it's cheesy as hell with the Batwing in the original Batman 89 movie we'll by Tim Burton. was literally, it made the moon a bat signal. And while I loved it, it was ridiculous. This, as you say, simple bit of realism and a fantastic piece of visual design. Yep. Wonderful. Lovely. Really, really good. Now I know exactly what you're going to talk about and it didn't like offend me, it just confused <sighs> me. So let's 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 talk about it, shall we? It will confuse you when we watch the next episode. Um, this episode, dear listener, was the first to feature the new opening credit scene, which I have to say I am not a fan of, mainly for one reason. The music's wonderful. Shirley Walker can do no wrong. I worship this woman. She was a star, a legend, and produced some of the best TV and movie music to this day I've ever heard. But I don't like the use of scenes from episodes that involve dialogue where you don't hear the dialogue. And just seeing Batman talking and mouthing while this music's playing in the background, and it's just little jarring, overly quickly edited bits of um, footage added to the music into Placed with the original opening titles. I hate these opening credits. They just feel very confusing. They feel very yeah. out of place. It's I get why they're trying to do it. They're trying to show Batman and Robin being heroic and courageous and now they're doing what they gotta do. But they could have like longer fighting scenes to it. They could have like grand swooping moments of them across the way. Them cutting into the original credits just shows that these are the credits we used to have that are still probably better. Mm-hmm. Um and also isn't the name of the adventures of Batman and Robin kind of misleading because not Robin's not in every episode? That was my main gripe. Because yeah. um, this is still called Batman the Animated Series and it always has been. That's what it's known as. Even the l- later scenes which are called the new Batman adventures. Um, but the adventures of Batman and Robin, as you say, I was expecting well, maybe Robin is in more episodes. He wasn't in episode one. And he wasn't in this, one. Wasn't in this one either. So again, why? Mm. Um I don't know, but I can put up with 45 seconds of a sham when you get 20 minutes of pure excellence. I feel like that may also be a reason. I feel that these credits are possibly shorter. Yeah. So they get more more screen time devoted to the okay. actual story. Good, good call. So, like, giving and taking, which is something I'm more than happy with. If it gives me a few extra moments in the episode, which is something I still quite like because this episode didn't feel 20 minutes. No. So no. much happened. Mm-hmm. Which is just a hard thing to be able to pull off. But yeah, um, masterfully done. And I'm glad to have seen it, even with strange openings here and there. Yeah. We have to say that this episode delivered on every front. Script, dialogue, characterization, uh, character development, visuals, sound. Everything was neat. So a massive thumbs thumbs up, even with the uh, slightly more offensive opening titles. Offensive. Yeah. The, the the true opening titles will always live in our hearts and on oh, our screens somewhere else. Forever. Well, with the next episode, believe it or not, but we'll talk about that next week. So um, that's it for this episode. We've talked about Batman, the animated series, season two, episode two, A Bullet for Bullock. Now let's talk about um, Adam Ray. Where can Gothamites everywhere find you, your writings, your video and your work? 
My work and my videos and my writing are splayed across many corners of the internet. You can find me writing about Batman and Batman-flavoured things, reviewing many titles a month on Dark Knight News. Catwoman and Suicide Squad are both in excellent spots right oh, now. Oh, yes, they are. But as for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look no further than our baby, our pride and joy, fantasticuniverses.com, where I talk about the state of the various card games and battle royales that I'm obsessed with, into the state of my own take and own supplements for Dungeons & Dragons to level up your TTRPG experience. You can find more of that uh, Dungeons & Dragons goodness on the Apotheosis Studios blog. Follow me on Twitter at Is It Tinkerer, where you will again find me showing off the highest wins and lowest defeats of cross my gaming experiences. And for <laughs> visual media, uh, find me Dungeon Mastering Games on No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube, and find my PC gaming Let's Plays on the Hostile Atmosphere on YouTube. Fantastic. As for myself, just Google search Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes for all my written work across DC Comics News, Dark Knight News, Fantastic Universes, and CBR. For this show and for The Spinner Rack, where Seth Singleton tells you about the best DC books that week, the Harley Quinn animated series Mad Love. You can catch that on this network too. You can catch on YouTube of Kelly Gaines talking about everything DC, fueled by alcohol and laughter on DCN After Dark. You can catch all those shows on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Play. Dark Knight News and DC Comics News can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and across Tinternet. On Twitter, find me at lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. Find Dark Knight News at DKNews.com. Find DC Comics News at DC Comics News, funnily enough. Until you do, though, this has been I Am The Knight. This is Adam Ray. He is the Knight. Together, we are the Knight. Thank you for listening. And until next time, read more comics. And watch more Batman.